Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Zoe. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us, where we answer your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, please visit newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us or leave a comment on YouTube. I'm Anoush Shekelian. I'm Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of the podcast. And in the studio today, we have our deputy political editor, Rachel Wearmouth, and political reporter, Zoe Grunewald, who have been reading your messages and comments and have brought us some questions to discuss. Rachel, whose questions do you have first? Okay, so this is a question from Kevin, who asks, who do you think will secede Rishi Sunak as leader of the Conservative Party? So, Rachel, you've actually been working on a piece about this, haven't you? So what names are coming up as you're working on this? Um, the, the names that come up repeatedly are um, Kemi Badnock, Penny Mordaunt, um, Sue Anna Braverman. Right. But there are others that um, you, you wouldn't necessarily rule out, like James Cleverley. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if you if you ever look at um, the list of cabinet ministers who are... who Conservative Party members believe are doing the best job. Ben Wallace usually comes to the, to the top of them, but I'm not sure if if Ben Wallace actually has any ambitions in that direction. Um, he certainly had um, ambitions to be um, the head of NATO at one point, um, but um, those obviously, and you know, that's not that's not happening now. It's back to Jens Stoltenberg. So mm. um, whether we'll see a resurgence in. Ben Wallace is interesting. Um, and as in we spoke about in a recent episode, he may lose his seat. He may, lo- he may lose his seat, but um, that's again, that's hard. the hardest thing to judge when um, um, talking to people about this is kind of who's going to be left after all the Portillo moments that we've uh, yes, that we've discussed. and you know, and I think you know, it's it's quite distorted in that many MPs are quite divided as, as to sort of what scale of defeat they may be they may be looking at. You know, so some are more optimistic than others. So um, it depends who you kind of speak to about it. But people who, who you know, for example, Penny Mordaunt, I think at the minute has, you know, something like a 15,000 majority. But a lot of people who are around Penny would probably point out that she's improved her majority every mm. election. So, and that was and pre- she won her seat off Labour and as and well, it, and which it previously, is quite crucial. Previously was a Labour seat. So if, yeah. she, if she does hang on to it she'll have quite a pow- powerful argument to put to MPs and party members. And you do wonder if she may have learnt from some of the mistakes that she made during her during her last leadership contest. But on the other hand, um, I think what people, when people are thinking about this question, one of the things that they, they don't mention is that it kind of depends what the circumstances are in which the con- Conservative Party may lose the next election mm. and what reasons the public attribute to, you know, 
the, the, the defeat, why they, why they chose to vote against the Conservative Party. Did they lose on the economy? Mm-hmm. Um, were there other voters who were convinced who remained convinced on some of the culture wars arguments, you know, that would favour, for example, Kemi Badnock. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of depends, will the feeling that seems to be on the rise against Brexit and that kind of feeling of regret, will the, will voters take that out on the Conservative Party? And what does that do to the dynamics after the after the next election? Is, you know, are you, is it more likely that you're going to have someone who's more of a Brexit sceptic or has become more Brexit sceptic since the since we've we've left the European Union, does that become a question? Or does the party feel frustrated about what's happened, frustrated about, you know, losing to the to the Labour Party and do do they then want to continue campaigning on culture wars culture wars issues? But I think that that kind of that that path would favour someone like Suella Bravman or or Kemi Badnock. But you've kind of seen that it's also kind of fraught with danger. That capacity. Yeah. I mean I mean like look at the last few days, for example big row of the BBC and then you had Tory MP Lee Anderson you know piping up straight away you know being very very anti-BBC and kind of running away with it a little bit perhaps mm. it could kind of go many different ways I think it's not it's not it's certainly not a decided question there are a lot of the people that you would speak to would want to tell you that it's a decided question <laughs> and that you know someone like Penny or someone like Kemi's going to run away with it but I just think that it's so hard to tell at the moment. Yeah, and and there is a danger, of course, um, in defeat, in reading the wrong lessons from that defeat, as yeah. we saw Labour sort of catastrophically did after 2015. Yes. And, you know, you can see all sorts of ways that you could read different um, things from the results. So, you know, someone like Rishi Sunak... Obviously, he speaks sort of in quite socially conservative terms at the moment, but he reads, he's sort of coded as quite a centrist mm-hmm. kind of technocratic leader. So if he sort of loses by not as much as expected or, you know, Labour sort of have to go into some kind of minority or coalition situation, then perhaps that vindicates his style of leadership. And you do get someone who is perhaps from the softer mm-hmm. end of the party. If there's a catastrophic defeat, you know, are people going to argue, well, you know, that's because that's because of the way that we presented ourselves as two sort of, uh, you know, bland. Um, and should we have a big personality in the style that we had uh, Boris Johnson before who delivered at us that huge win? And perhaps that leans more towards someone like Kemi Badenoch, who is someone who on camera is quite a compelling presence, speaks. So she's sort of a straight talker and she's also someone who doesn't necessarily row back on what she's going to say. She doesn't pull punches, which, like you say, is a risk. Um, but it's also something that does quite appeal in terms of its presentation style to people. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think there'll be a big examination after the next election of Keir Starmer as an individual politician and his his mm. his pluses. Um, mm. You know, because he, he will become a Labour prime minister um, and not just the Labour leader. So there'll be a big evaluation of of why Keir Starmer's won and what's good about Keir Starmer and how his victory has been. You know, in many ways, shows his genius or whatever. So they'll be also thinking about how they will oppose him as an individual politician, right. you know, so who, then that's kind of more of a, of a vibes thing. So yeah, that, it might suit somebody like, like Kemi Badnock or perhaps, you know, someone like Penny rather, yeah. you know, who might have a lighter touch as a communicator and less easy to goad. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I, I think it's really interesting. It's it's very much who you talk to in the party. You'll get completely different answers. If you talk to the sort of One Nation caucus or the moderates there, they always will tell you we win when we move to the centre. Mm-hmm. So that they'll look at sort of the pennies and the sort of One Nation Tories as their future leader. But then if you look in those 
you know, talk to those on on more of the right of the party, they'll say, we need something refreshing. We need something that brings more energy to the Conservative Party. And Kemi Badenoch has consistently been touted as a leader who is very new, very refreshed. She's a, you know, positive face, in their words, for the Conservative Party. And I think Rachel's right. I think it's going to really depend on what victory for the Labour Party looks like and not only how Starmer has done and his appeal, but also where the Conservatives had failed. And what I think is quite interesting about Kemi is we've seen a couple of times now in her um, role as business sec that she has had to row back on mm-hmm. a, a couple of things. So, for example, the the EU retained rule bill, yeah. uh, the EU retained law bill, sorry. Her rowback on that actually slightly weakened her position as this quite bolshy um, leader. And it might have slightly, I guess, undermined her, you know, very kind of no nonsense. We're going to go through yeah. this. This is the concern. And you had some of those classic Brexiteer voices like John Redwood feeling betrayed by mm. that. They kind of thought that she was on on the mm. same page and, and she wasn't. So maybe mm. there's a bit of an alienation of that. Yeah, uh, that side of I wonder. And, and also, you know, she was very kind of strong on the culture war stuff. But if Labour, you know, win overwhelmingly on the economy or just bringing a certain semblance of stability to politics. I wonder how much the culture war will become a factor in the next Tory leadership or whether it will be what is the perfect, you know, antidote to Keir Starmer. So it will will be interesting to see. And I think it's hard to predict until we know exactly what a Labour victory is going to look like. Yeah. and, And of course, you know, the Conservatives can still win. Um, we might have oh, we yeah. might we might have Rishi Sunak until twenty thirty, yeah. for example. I was just going to quarrel slightly with the you retained law bill, as in many have. Uh, <laughs> yes, as in I actually think that was a, a good judgment of Kemi Badnock to take on the, to take on the Brexiteers, and I think that might reflect well on her mm. after after the after the next election. I think that might be in the short term may appear like it's massively undermined her position but in the longer term I think I think think that might but then you've always got the members to worry about (laughs) yeah but again everything will look very different after Rajivi and how much is Brexit going to form part of the next Conservative leadership campaign or will it be other issues I think is the the key point as well and what was interesting actually just lastly on this was during the Tory leadership contest that we've seen Kemi Badenoch and Penny Morden were coming up very high in the polling of party members, although party membership polling can be a little bit difficult to read. But it's interesting because they represented two quite different sides of the Conservative project. But nevertheless, they were sort of popular with the same people. You know, when I went out to go and speak to Tory members at some of the associations, they would say both of those names to me in the same breath, you know, not really sort of reflecting the fact that they have very significant ideological differences. So I think it is a bit of a presentation thing and also a fresh face thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just so hard to tell right now. Yeah. I, I, I'll, repeat myself, I'll repeat myself in that respect. It's, it does depend, depend on the scale of the of the defeat. And you're right, If um, we could end up with, you know, the Conservatives are the largest party. And I think that's like the maximum chaos option, right? You know, I mean, that, I think that makes it, the, you know, in many ways, that might be the worst possible thing for the Conservative Party because, you know, would a party in Northern Ireland do a deal with them? Mm-hmm. The Lib Dems have already said they wouldn't do a deal with them. You know, they're in a very, very difficult position. They can't do a deal with the SNP. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just the Greens left. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, and then, you know, that. The, the, the internal fighting becomes more intense yeah. because you still, in some way, potentially could retain power. It just becomes, but I think that's the most, difficult, out, true, most difficult outcome for the Conservatives is if they win, become the largest party. Yeah. So after the break, Zoe is going to introduce her question. Have you got a little taster of what, what we'll be talking about, Zoe? Um, are there rumours of Labour defections? If you'll subscribe to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. If you like The New Statesman podcast, please vote for us in the Listener's Choice category in the British Podcast Awards. 
You can vote now at britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting anytime until the 5th of September. Make sure you type in The New Statesman Podcast and then it will come up. We'll be back after this. If you enjoy The New Statesman Podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Okay, Zoe, so what's your question? Okay, so this is a question from Cleona who asks, what do you feel the chances are that Keir Starmer will be ousted as Labour leader before the next general election? And what do you feel the chances are that Labour MPs will begin to defect to another party, especially Greens? This is a good, quite timely question for me because I interviewed the co-leader of the Green Party yesterday, Carla Denyer, and we had a good chat about the rising support for the Green Party, specifically Labour voters sort of being taken by the Green Party and Mm -hmm. Conservative voters as well, which is something that people don't often think of because they tend to think of the Greens as the, you know, left-wing party, so it makes more sense that they would take Labour voters. If we just take the the first bit, so the chances of Keir Starmer being ousted as Labour leader before the next general election, I think that's pretty unlikely. I think Labour MPs feel fairly confident that they're sort of on the home straight to a victory of some sort. I think the idea of unseating Starmer would just cause so much instability. It could wreck their chances of getting that. I, I think the the listener's getting at something, which is that there might be some tensions within the Labour Party about Starmer's direction, particularly from those on the left. But I think what I'm predicting is that we'll see a lot of unity up until general election and after. And then if Starmer takes government, we might see a little bit more of the kind of factional infighting coming out a little bit more publicly. But I think it's it's quite um, a low chance that Keir Starmer will be ousted as the Labour leader. Yeah, I think judging by the, uh, the Unite vote to stay affiliated with the Labour Party, you get this sense that even those who aren't happy with the direction that Keir Starmer is taking the party in want to be able to still have that position of influence if they win. So now is sort of the the most unwise moment to alienate yourself from the centre of power, if you like. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't th- I don't think that vote was ever really going to be in question because uh, Keir Starmer was actually speaking at um, the United, United's Policy Conference today. Yeah. Um, and that was known about beforehand. So he had the executive on side and it was always going to be, you know, right, it was okay. always going to be a position. Would and have I, been think, a bit I, think, yeah, I think you're right, the trade unions can kind of sense power. But I think like, that's not to say that the, the relationships are good. Mm-hmm. I think we've got the National Policy Conference coming up and that's where they kind of decide what's, what they would like to recommend to the National Executive Committee, like the ruling yes. body of the party for, you know, what, what, what should be in the next manifesto. That's going to be a moment of quite, of quite a lot of tension, I think. But if you're a trade union leader and you're looking at um, the New Deal for Workers, it actually contains quite a lot of radical proposals. Yeah. That is kind of like, a, you know, if you're a big trade union person, it's like a, it's a dream, basically. It has so many things in there, you know, like 
employment rights on day one. Mm. Um, Flexible but, working as default. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, there's, there's there are many things in there that they've campaigned on for, you know, years and years and years and years and years. Um, and, you know, a lot of the rolling back of the, you know, repeal of some of the trade union laws that have been passed in the last few years yeah, also. Yeah. I think there may be some trade unions that are braced for some rolling back on some of that, but because it's it was such a very, very radical starting position that I, I don't pick up loads of major dissatisfaction amongst the unions, even if they might be willing to pick some fights on some other issues. But to, to try and answer the question after that <laughs> long-winded... No, it's a good um, point talk, because talk I think this is not talked about enough. This is Ange- this is Angela, the Angela Rayner-led Future of Work yes. programme that is still, you know, Labour policy. It's yeah. one of the things Collective that has not been... sectoral bargaining is, yeah. is, is massively, massively it's radical. It's really important, yeah. um, and, and would And would, you know, keep many on the left on side for a very long time I think I think where where a lot of the dissatisfaction has come from is maybe it's been with the selection processes where individual people feel you know pushed out or there's been you know a big cleanup of the membership also um but that's kind of that's always been like a different a difference between how people on the right of the party and on the left of the party would have would have operated you know like people on the left are more likely to see labor membership as as a right whereas you know people who are more on the moderate side of the party would think it's kind of it's a bit more of a privilege and it's mm-hmm. a, you know they would they would view having membership at all in very different terms as a starting point and I think that there's been a big kind of focus on the quality of MPs as well um, they're very worried about getting allegations sprung on them at the very last minute so yeah. and they're just so uptight about that that sometimes there's been some collateral damage I think there's been a squeezing of certain sections of, of the left which were very close to the previous regime and I think that's caused a lot of frustration, but I don't think that that, I don't think it follows, therefore, that there is a big movement on the left against Keir Starmer. Yeah, yeah. And and this idea of defecting to the Greens, I mean, did Carla Denia give you any idea of whether she's in conversations with any Labour MPs? Because there are some who are very into the idea of electoral pacts and proportional representation and, you know, a, a more conciliatory way of working with other parties that share some of your values. Mm. So there was no um, indication from Carla that she was in conversation with specific Labour MPs. But um, you are right. Obviously, there is a movement from within the Greens, but also with from within some in Labour, some within the Lib Dems for a PR system. That's something that Starmer's pretty much uh, ruled out. And I think there will be a little bit of frustration there about trying to make the voting system more proportional. I know we spoke about it last week. I think what's important about this question is if we're, if we're talking about Labour defections, we need to think of what issues they would defect on. So if it's like a personal issue with, with Keir Starmer, I don't think that's going to happen for the reason Rachel just said, because I think people see it as their best chance of electoral success. There are, of course core issues that members might quarrel over. So one of the things, and this is might be one of the things that would push a member to the Green Party, is their environmental pledges. We've seen this slight rollback of the 28 billion um, Green Prosperity Pledge. Um, but as we were talking about before, actually, I think they can couch their decision here as being quite sensible. You know, we've got um, huge interest rates. Borrowing that amount of money may look a bit irresponsible. It may damage their chances electorally. So I think the messaging around that, I actually think has been handled quite well, which is that we will scale up to that. I also think, you know, there are other slightly more fringe issues, for example, the, the trans rights issue. We've seen a little bit of conflict within the Labour Party over that, and it has um, challenged the leadership quite a bit as to where he sort of stakes his his position. Mm. We know there are uh, Labour members such as Rosie Duffield who are quite vocal on this. And I guess there was a bit of discussion about, you know, would she p- potentially defect? Because obviously the Conservatives are much more aligned with her viewpoint on this. But actually, again, that's sort of gone a bit quiet again. I think a lot of Labour 
members just kind of want to get to the finish line, which is the general election. But that's not to say that, you know, over the next four or five years after a general election, these kind of issues crop up and, you know, you might see members in talks with other parties. Well, thanks for those great questions and thanks to everyone who submitted a question. We do read them all, so please keep them coming. Remember, if you'd like to send us a question, just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can just leave a comment under the video. We're trying something new in the New Statesman podcast feed over the coming weeks. You might already be aware of our other podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of the New Statesman's reported features and essays read aloud. It publishes every Saturday morning and is a great way to start your weekend. We thought you'd really enjoy these episodes, so we're going to start publishing them in this feed as well. Tomorrow we have Jeremy Cliff's essay on what the upcoming Spanish elections tell us about the future of Europe, read by our executive producer, Chris Stone. We hope you enjoy it. As ever, we'd love to have your feedback. If you want to let us know what you think about the New Statesman podcast, please drop us a line at podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Wearmouth and Zoe Grunewald. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for the New Statesman. We're produced by Matt Murphy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.